0: Good morning everybody and welcome to Cross Point. My name is Bruce Garner and I'm going to have the privilege of opening the Bible with you in just a moment. But right now I'd like to do two things. First of all, I'd like to welcome all of you. I've been on the road for 2 weeks and it is just so good to be home. It's wonderful to come home and see this room and this second service completely filled up. Meet people I've uh, meeting for the first time this morning. If you're here for the first time because somebody invited you, welcome, and thank you for accepting their invitation. We hope to be good stewards of your time and trust. I don't want to waste a minute of your time. Let me explain to you what's about to happen. I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to walk with you through a Bible story where Jesus had one of the most important conversations recorded in the Gospels that give us the history, the account of His life. Jesus was continually asking people questions on this occasion. You're going to meet a man in who in his time was very important and as it turns out very wealthy who must have known that his strength, his authority and his wealth was not enough. He came to Jesus with the most important question of all, and I want to I want you to hear the answer and then I want to invite you to do something that is wonderful and humbling all at the same time. I want to invite you to deal with Jesus. Not with me. I'm just the messenger. I'm literally just going to read you a historical account of a vital conversation he had with another person asking the most important person anyone question anyone could. And I want you to know on the front side, I'm not here this morning to give you good advice. It's better than that. I'm here to give you good news. Last Sunday, I was in Houston, I went to a really good church, and the message was filled with good advice. It was biblical advice, it was true advice, it was helpful. I still remember what the pastor talked about last Sunday, but this is even better. It's good news. Put it to you like this. If you had $5 million worth of debt and a $10,000 a year job, imagine that for a moment. You're making 10 grand a year and you owe five million. Would you rather have somebody give you good advice on how to make payments, or announce to you the good news that they paid the debt off for you? Which would you rather have? Good news. Never mind the advice. Give me the good news. That's what today is. Today is a day of good news, so let's pray together and we'll listen to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for gathering us. There are people in this church family who have been here uh, longer than I've been alive and others who are here for the first time, maybe feeling a little uncertain, wondering what it's about, how we're going to act. I pray that you would reassure them and that they would feel very comfortable, very welcome here because they are and because you love them and you have good things, you have good news to give to all of us, including me, beginning with me. I need the good news as much as anyone ever has. And I thank you for it, and I pray that you'd help me tell it well and faithfully so that we together would rest in how good and loving you really are. I pray that in Jesus' name. Crosspoint says... Amen. Good morning. Please open your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, you may find it easier this Sunday to follow along in the Scripture that I've printed out inside your bulletin. If one of our ushers gave you a bulletin on the way in, the passage that we're in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, is printed there for you. I've been a bit of a road warrior for the last two weeks, and I've spent more time than I would like on what I now call the bus with wings, which is an airplane. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember, maybe you are too, when traveling on an airplane was glamorous. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Just a little bit of, you know, I even dressed up a little bit. My parents made me wear clothes that I only wore at church at the airport, what a… And now, my goodness, we got people in Crocs and pajama bottoms. We've got barefoot people. I mean, if somebody got on with a chicken at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. I flew with a lady where uh, one lady who had a cat and another who had a pig. Yeah, bad news about that. The cat meowed all the way from Long Beach to Boston on a red eye. Meowed 52 times a minute from coast. coast. That's not a a guess. I timed it because I didn't have anything else to do at two in the morning. (laughs) So, I've been on the bus with wings, and I've had a lot of the awkward downtime that you have on gates and on tarmacs. And fortunately, I have a machine of infinite distraction in my pocket, same as you. It's called a smartphone, and it connects me to the world. And I spent longer than I would like to admit, because the algorithm fed me this little ad that said, here are 40 life-changing purchases from Amazon. (laughs) Well, I mean, I got nothing to do. The airport's providing the Wi-Fi. I could be reading anything, including my Bible. What a concept for a pastor and a Christian, right? But instead, I probably went nine or 10 purchases deep on life-changing purchases from Amazon, and then I thought, this is, this is dumb. First of all, I'd already be about $200 down probably if I bought all these things. And these are just little gadgets, they're little hacks, some little thing to hang my phone off the back of the airplane seat in front of me so that I didn't have to hold that. I actually bought that. Um, <laughs> and I got to tell you, it, I wouldn't say it's changed my life, but it did make that one really long flight much more tolerable. But I I snapped out of it eventually and realized, I wonder if, if we could keep stats the way your GPS smartwatch keeps track of steps and minutes of stress and all the disturbing news that a smartwatch can now give you. I wonder at the end of my life how much time would have been spent on trivialities on stuff that I wouldn't remember 24 hours later and that made absolutely no difference to anyone else in the world. Not even me, the guy who chose to do all that. You ever think about that? We live with machines of permanent distraction and trivialization. We're bombarded with messages. I counted the other day, and sometimes if you try to reach me and and I miss you, please be patient with me and and come back and ping me again, because I have seven channels of communication there's seven ways to reach me and I just I just miss stuff today in today's story in Mark chapter 10 a man is going to cut through all the triviality all the distraction of his own day and time and he's going to ask the most important question of all the question is this how can I be sure that I have eternal life that's his question and he's come to the right person. He's come to Jesus to ask it. You're going to see once I start reading the story that he's come with the right posture. He literally kneels in front of Jesus, physically at least. He's postured with humility. He really wants to know, and he really does believe that Jesus has the answer. And historically speaking, he's asking the right person. He's asking the most important question, and he's asking the right person. Here's why that question matters so much. Every single person in this room loves life. When you're endangered by some maniac on the 405, your heart leaps up into your mouth. If you survive it, you're immediately angry. You believe these people? You've been that person, relax. Just today was their day. You dread a call from the doctor, you dread phone calls about your loved ones. Every single thing in our life tells us how much all of us actually love life. Life is precious. As a pastor, I've officiated more funerals than I'd like to remember. And in every context, in every culture, every people group, every ethnicity I've ever dealt with, and there's been a, not a huge spread but a little bit of a, a variety, rich and poor, people who have thought deeply about God and are following God carefully, people who haven't haven't given God a second thought. In every single funeral I've ever been a part of, everybody speaks about eternal life. They may be making stuff up, and it may be more based on country songs and jokes than anything resembling reality but every single one of us talks about life, clings to life, fights for life. Life is so precious it's the reason that men run into burning buildings to save strangers. It's the reason tiny women find strength that is superior to that of five men put together if it's the difference between defending her life and maybe the life of her children. Life is precious, we want to enjoy it. We've customized our life in the 21st century to a never-before-seen level, trying to make life good and trying to make life last. Because when someone dies too young, we say things like, gone too early, tragic. Every single one of us, even a group that is now fading fast, that were are known for a time as the new atheists, even they care deeply about eternal life, the most notorious of their group, died several years ago tragically of cancer and left word before he died that if in the end he started talking about God and sin and heaven and forgiveness and eternal life, that everyone should know that was just the drugs or the pain talking, that he didn't mean any of it. The truth is, regardless of what we've been taught to believe, even if we've given no thought of it at all, when we're forced to consider the end of our lives, which we all know is coming, someday, we just don't know when, that's the one appointment you'll never miss. We all love life, we cling to it, we fight for it, we cherish it. So it's a good question, and we find it in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, and as he was setting out on his journey, it's speaking about Jesus. We're just dropping right into the very busy life of Jesus. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the question. That's the most important question. Never mind where you're going to live, what kind of job you're going to do, you are going to have kids, what are they going to be like? All of those questions matter. But they pale in comparison to something called eternal life because life is precious and eternal life, by definition, goes on forever. It's what everybody talks about at the funeral. Notice that this man is humble. He's urgent. He ran up and, it says, he knelt before Jesus. And he starts with a compliment, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer may surprise you. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. Now, if you've heard anything about Jesus at this point, even in memes, if you've read the New Testament... That answer from Jesus probably surprises you because Jesus has spent his entire public ministry making claims that belong to God alone. He's astounded people with his teacher. He's performed miracles like raising the dead that only God can perform. A religious man has come to him by night and said to him, we know that God is with you. No one can do the good things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus has been so clear and insistent that He is the Son of God who has come from God and is God Himself in the flesh now that people have repeatedly tried to kill Him, and rather than back down or explain Himself, He keeps doubling and tripling down. Why in the world would Jesus say, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Mark 10, verse 18 is absolutely true. Everything Jesus ever told you is true, even if it's uncomfortable to to hear. No one is good except God alone. Now, that phrase, once you see who this man is and how he acts, you're going to understand why Jesus told him that. This young man, as you're going to discover, is self-righteous. You enjoy being around self-righteous people? It's a main reason a lot of people don't want to come to church. They think it's filled with self-righteous people. More on that in a minute. Right now, what Jesus wants them to do, this young man to do. This young man is he must be observant, he must be orthodox. He's interested in the biggest questions, and he's asked the best possible person a man who has explained that the scriptures written a thousand years before his life point back to him, point forward to him, who has performed miracles that only God can do to show that he really has come from God. He's telling him a core truth from his childhood that no one on earth is good except God. And here's why he's doing it. I want to tell you a story that will illustrate what Jesus is doing before I show you what this young man should have known. And Jesus holds the standard of God's righteousness up to him to examine his own life. I was very young, dumber than I am now, recently married to a beautiful girl who remains my wife. And we were on, my, on our way to my hometown of Amarillo, Texas, so that she could meet some of my extended family. Now, I love my family, but there are sections of my extended family that I carefully did not introduce to my wife until <laughs> she had a ring on her hand. Because <laughs> Jesus has done a great work on our family on both sides, but some of us, my goodness gracious, you know, I got a whole crew that could walk onto the old Jerry Springer show and no questions asked. (laughs) And I've said that before, and some of y'all haven't believed me, and then you meet them or see them on the internet, like, you know, you weren't fooling around. That wasn't preacher exaggeration. No, I'm just telling you, I know and I love my family, and that's why we meet them in waves and sections, right? (laughs) Want to get her hat in the ring before we do much more. So I'm on my way to introduce her to actually a really cool part of the family. I'm taking her to grandma's house on Christmas Eve, speeding through the panhandle of Texas. Bad idea. There's a very famous speed trap that she knows about because she grew up in West Texas and that I know about because I was born in Amarillo, but I drive a junky car in college. Now I've got a car that is rented and insured by somebody else, and I am driving this thing. I mean, I'm pushing the limits of what this car can do, and she is very reasonably saying, Bruce, remember the speed trap, please slow down, and I'm giving her the version of let a man drive, okay? Like I said, dumb. Well, sure enough, at a particular time, right where you would expect, on Christmas Eve, on my way to Grandma's house, suddenly I see lights in my rearview mirror, and I discovered something. Texas state troopers aren't especially happy to work on Christmas Eve. <laughs> i give you a little tip if it ever happens to you. If the man takes about five minutes to walk up to your car and just lets you look at him and his mirrored sunglasses, nervously in your rearview mirror, and he takes a long time to walk up to the car, you can almost hear the spurs jangling. <laughs> Here's how you know you're getting a ticket. When the Texas state trooper says, sir, there any medical emergencies in your vehicle I should be aware of at this point in time? What that means is, unless somebody's bleeding to death in the back seat, it's going to get really expensive for you. And so it did. I tried on my way to grandma's house. He didn't care. In fact, he did something very interesting. And this is the point of me telling you this story. He actually had me get out of the car, and I thought, this is not good. It's not good when they ask you to step out of the car. He asked me to walk back to the car and had me get in on the passenger side. I thought, this is not a good trend here. Uh, Things are going toward custody, not, uh, not life and liberty, pursuit of happiness, as I was enjoying two minutes ago. He didn't put me in the back seat. He didn't cuff me. He just took an obnoxiously painfully long time to explain to me what a radar gun was. Told me the model name, explained how the technology worked. And then he said, sir, are you aware of the posted speed limit on this section of the roadway? Yes, sir. What is it, sir? I said, it's 55 miles an hour. You're right. He pointed to the radar gun. He said, sir, can you tell me the number you see there? I said, it's 89 (laughs) seemed like a good idea at the time. I thought I was being cool. A lot of young men have done a lot of dumb things to impress their young wives. And after that, not much needed to be said. Here's the point. He showed me the standard, and it shut me up. He took about 15 minutes to do all this. It was just he and I on the road, which was part of my argument that let's just let this go. It's just two Texans out here having a, having a good time. Surely there can be mutual love and understanding. Can't we all just get along? Not today. Because I had violated the law, and he took the time to show me the law, to show me the standard, and once we had agreed how far I had fallen short of this standard, I had nothing more to say except, thank you, sir, when he said, be safe. When Jesus says to this young man, no one is good except God alone, he's trying to draw this young man's thoughts away from himself and toward God. And that's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to take about 20 more minutes from this point forward to show you who God is. And in this story, you're going to watch this young man make a decision. He's going to evaluate himself His way of living and what matters to Him, and compare it with Jesus' answer, is going to make a decision. And I'm going to ask you to make your own decision. You'll be able to witness the historical record of what He decided. I'm going to ask you to make your own decision, and I hope it's better than the one He made. But first, we have to start with this enormous truth that Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. Here's some of the Scriptures that should have come to this young man's mind. Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Let me invite you to measure your character and your behavior by God's. Regarding God, Scripture tells us that God is good and forgiving, that He is abounding. In other words, generously provided, it flows right out of Him, it comes out of His deepest being, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Friend, would you say you're good? Would you say that you're forgiving? he say most times depends on who's asking, depends what they've done. How about this bit? Are you abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you? If anybody calls on you, does deep, faithful love flow out of you? Psalm 92 verse 15 says something else. The Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Again, this is a little bit humbling, and I'm not judging you. I'm just laying Scripture out in front of you. I'll be glad to give you my answers as we go, if that would help. Would you say that you're upright? Many people in this room who chose to come church on a Sunday morning in Huntington Beach where life is generally awesome and you could be anywhere else, many people would say, yeah, I'm pretty upright. (laughs) At least compared to most people I know and certainly compared to some people i know what about this next line there is no unrighteousness in him would you say that there's no unrighteousness in you no selfishness no bad motives no lies no pride just all humility all love all faithfulness all goodness all righteousness all the time was that say would you say that that's you You hear the laughter going through the room? You know what that is? That's the laughter of recognition. Here's the thing. And here's why guys like me, preachers, get sometimes a well-deserved bad rap. I'm trying to lay out in front of us who God is. And people think sometimes that the preacher is talking down to them. This preacher isn't. I'm telling you, I do not abound in steadfast love to all who call on me. I can be forgiving, but in my very heart, what I really want is justice. I want you to get what's coming to you. I watch the news and burn with anger, same as everybody else. I, it's hard for me to forgive sometimes. I am not always merciful. I am not always kind. And if the standard is there's no unrighteousness in him, guilty. There's plenty of unrighteousness in me. Maybe compared to other people, I'm doing okay, but here's the thing I'm not the standard. God is. Only God is good. Here's another psalm Psalm 141. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. There's one difference between God and us. Would you ever say that a single day in your life, you can invite somebody to contemplate the glorious splendor of your majesty? (laughs) Married guys, go home and try that out. Say, baby, I'm home and I invite you to come into the living room and enjoy and behold the glorious splendor of my majesty. She's going to call a doctor for you if that's what you do. (laughs) On your wondrous works, I will meditate. Why? Because God made all the world and all that is in it. The people who wrote these psalms were in nature every day in a way that most of us try to avoid. They saw the stars above them. They saw the power of rivers and waterfalls. They were acquainted with the ecosystem and how beautifully it all hung together sustaining itself by God's own design, and they were amazed at what God had done. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Read verse 8 with me, please. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Measure yourself by verse eight. Would you say that you are gracious and merciful? Would you further say that you are slow to anger and that everyone's dealings with you find that you are generous, that you abound, that more faithful love pours out of you than is actually needed? Does that describe a single person here? That's what Jesus wanted this man to see. But he didn't take him to the Psalms. He took him to something even more incisive. Go back to the story with me, please. Mark chapter 10. I'm down in verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. These are some of the Ten Commandments. There are ten of those, and I want you to see something. Jesus is only going to cite commandments that involved obligations of one person toward another. Bible students talk of the commandments having two tables. In the first table or the first section are obligations toward God... In the second section, our obligations toward your fellow human beings. God isn't even, Jesus isn't going to mention this man's obligations toward God. He's just going to talk to him about his obligations toward people. These are not Jesus' opinions. These are God's instructions. Our conscience tells us, with reference to God, completely out of the picture. Our conscience tells us that these are good laws, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And Jesus here seems to be combining two commandments between coveting and stealing and calling it defrauding. The final commandment He cites to this young man, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Mark 10, verse 20. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. You're standing there with him. The disciples are with Jesus. This is deep into the ministry of Jesus. I'm certain that Peter was there because the apostle Peter is the source for the gospel that Mark wrote. Stand with him for a second and ask yourself this question. Do you believe him? Do you believe that this young man has done everything that God has commanded him to do to, toward his fellow man from the time he had use of reason? So I, I don't really know. I never met the guy. Fair enough, but you've known a lot of people and you know yourself. You know anybody ever who didn't covet anything at all? You ever known a person who didn't tell a lie? You ever known a kid who always honored their father and mother? Hear the laughter again? (laughs) Recognition. That person does not exist. But this young man is self-righteous. He's got the right question, but he's putting the confidence in the wrong place. All of the humility is on the outside, He ran to Jesus. It's urgent. Many people want to talk to Jesus. Jesus has a very busy day. I'm gonna run up and I'm gonna kneel down and I'm gonna ask the most important question of all. Never mind what you can buy on Amazon, never mind where you live. The arrival of death will prove to you that the only thing that really matters is the question, the answer to the question the young man asks. How can I live forever? Life is precious, and I'd like to enjoy it forever. How, what can I do to do that? All these things I have kept from my youth, and Jesus looking at him, what an important two words. Jesus looking at him, what's it say? Loved him. him. I'm so glad Mark put that in, because that tells me something. Jesus loves self-righteous people. If you think you've got it all figured out, you think you're doing everything right? Jesus loves you. Religious people may condemn you. Your family, your coworkers may turn their back on you. Jesus loves you. He loves it when people ask the most important question. And I'm going to argue to you that there is absolutely no way, and I'm going to prove it from what happens next, that this man was as good as he thought he was. And here's the point, and I'm nearly done, believe it or not. Have hope. Enter into this story and understand this. Regarding your own eternal life, because your life will go on forever somewhere, regarding your own eternal life, if you're comparing yourself to someone else or even to your previous worse version of yourself, you're looking at the wrong standard. The standard for eternal life is God's alone It will do you no good to say, but I'm not as bad as that guy. God, who is the righteous judge, may agree with you. And the Bible plainly says, he will give everyone according to their deeds. That state trooper did not buy my excuse that other people had sped before. He did not buy my excuse that other people had committed felonies. He dealt with me as a speeder and gave me exactly what the penalty was between 89 compared to the standard of 55 miles an hour. Jesus wants to awaken this young man to the truth of what Jesus said, that only God is good. But he's not ready for it. His answer actually is, I'm pretty good too. I've done all those things since I was a kid. And Jesus is going to expose him. Check this out. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And here's the invitation. And come, what's it say? Follow me. Say, I thought, you can buy your way into heaven? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, absolutely not. Jesus never said this again in recorded Scripture to anyone else. He said this to just one man. He said this to a man who thought he was good enough to stand in God's presence. And Jesus exposed all of that in a very simple way. What Jesus is doing here is exposing this man's heart and showing him that he had not kept the first commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. He showed him the obligations he had toward other people. He felt pretty good toward his fellow man. And then he said, okay, I see what the problem is. You love money. And it's money that's going to keep you from following me. So I just have one more condition He indulges knowing the truth. He indulges the lie that the man has done everything right to this point. One more step toward perfection. Sell your stuff. Be generous to the poor as the Scriptures also command. And come and follow me. What's happening here? He's exposing that this man had not kept the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Before we're too hard on him. Let me ask you the relevant question. Has the God who made you and loved you, who put you in this beautiful place, who gave you your very life, who planned and paid for your eternal life, has He always been at the center of your life? Has He always called all the shots? Have you ever in all your life, obeying your conscience or Scripture or both, have you always and only done what that good and faithful God has told you? Have you? I'm not talking down to you. Let me make the confession. This won't surprise anybody. I haven't. In many, 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 many occasions, innumerable, countable only to God, I've thought that I make a pretty good God unto myself. I've known the difference between right and wrong and said, well, maybe God will forgive me and plunged right in and done exactly what I wanted to do. Does that sound familiar to any of you? This young man loves one thing more than he loves God. He loves money. So Jesus says, if you want God and eternal life, get rid of the money and come follow after me. And notice the reaction, the tragic decision if he didn't change his mind later. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That's going to blow the disciples' mind. Look, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why would that be? Because maybe you've discovered that dynamic in your own life, though you would not consider yourself wealthy. Let me suggest to you that by first century standards, you're amazingly wealthy. And here's what happens. When life is comfortable, God just kind of fades into the background. Have you noticed? And then we got this saying that there's no atheists in foxholes. Why is that? Because when we run into a problem that all of our abilities, all of our resources, and all of our money can't solve, then people turn to God. Jesus is watching this young man walk away sad, walk away toward his own death, walk away from the eternal life he asked about, and he got an answer. He just didn't like it, because another gospel tells us not only was he wealthy, he was young, And he had so many dreams and visions of what he could do with his health, his youth, and all of that money. He walked away sad. He walked away from eternal life. And it blew the disciples' mind because in their culture, if you had money, that means that God had smiled on you. They thought he was the best among them. We don't have that cultural value anymore. We're kind of swinging the other way. If someone is super rich, most people think he's probably a criminal of some kind already. We don't have their world view. But they, walked, they watched a man walk away and Jesus said, it's very hard for people who don't need anything to take God. Look at their reaction. They were exceedingly astonished and they said to him, then who can be saved? Now that's the huge question. If self-righteousness won't do it. If achievement in this life won't do it. If being better than anyone you know won't do it. If from God's point of view, it's more likely that you'll be able to cram a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to give up on his own good life and follow God instead, who can be saved? Here's the answer. It's important. And here's where it comes down to your own personal decision. Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. Give me five more minutes of your undivided best attention. Because we're really on the precipice, maybe for some of you, of making the same decision that the young man made. This verse all things are possible with God, and our culture is most often quoted after somebody wins a big game. They said we couldn't do it, but with God all things are possible. Woo! Then they pour the champagne and get out the new t-shirts and the hats. Listen, I'm always going to be grateful when any achiever gives any credit to God for his momentary success, but this verse is not about personal achievement this verse is literally telling you something that religion never will. Listen, nobody can save themselves. If God is the standard, if faithfulness, righteousness, perfection, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abiding mercy great love and faithfulness toward anyone who calls on Him. If that's the kind of God that we have to deal with, we can't possibly save ourselves because we don't act as He does. To put it in very simple language, there's only two kinds of people in heaven, perfect people like Jesus, His Son, and forgiven people. So unless you're actually righteous and perfect and would have the confidence to stand before God later today and say, I'm just like you. It's so good to see you. Thank you for welcoming me home because this glory is where I belong. Unless you have that confidence in your own righteousness, your only other option is to be forgiven. And Peter is standing there, I'm convinced, by the writing of Mark's gospel, listening to all this, and years later, toward the end of his life, Peter summarizes the good news that I've been trying to give you in two verses. First Peter chapter two. Listen. He's reflecting back on the death of Jesus, which Peter witnessed. And he says this he himself, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What was happening on the cross of Jesus is that Jesus was bearing my lying, my stealing, my lusting, my disobedience to my parents, my disobedience to God, my use of God's name in vain, my own self-will, my own self-determination. Jesus is bearing those sins himself in his own body on the tree they made his cross from. Why did he do that, Peter? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In other words, he pays the price, you get the gift. He suffers death, you receive eternal life. And then he says to these disciples of Jesus, these people who have decided to follow Jesus as Peter did, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. It's an old word picture drawn all the way back from the most famous psalm of all, the 23rd psalm where David famously wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's inviting you to come to Jesus. Have him be your good shepherd. Have him die in your place so that you can live forever. The invitation from Jesus is simple. He offered it to these disciples, and they heard it and followed Him. He's off, he offered it to this rich young ruler, and He ignored it, loving the money He had in this world more. The invitation from Jesus is simple, and it's just this. Jesus is saying to you this morning, come and follow Me. That's it. Just come and follow Me. If you're going to follow Him, friend, that means He's going to be in charge. If you're going to follow Him, that means that He's the one that's going to lead. If you're going to follow Him, He's going to tell you you're going to follow Him as a dearly loved person. You're actually going to follow Him as, his, as a brother in God's family because God will take you in as His own child and Jesus Himself will call you His friend. But make no mistake, He will be in charge because you cannot save yourself all of religion gives you the advice and the instructions and the impossible burdens of keep working up and maybe someday God will accept you. Jesus tells us the truth. Only God is good. But He's good enough that He's willing and loving to forgive you if only you will trust Him and follow His Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my invitation to you to come and follow Jesus. Can we pray together? Here's what it all comes down to, friend. I'm done preaching. I just want to make it abundantly clear what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust Jesus. I'm not asking you to join a new moral campaign. I'm not asking you to try harder. I'm not even asking you to be part of this church family. I'm asking you to turn away from your sin agree with Jesus that only God is good and then ask Him to do what only God can do. Ask God to save you. I did it myself. I was a kid, but I fought God like crazy because I was so in love with my own ideas. I'm glad God intercepted me and humbled me when He did because I don't know where I would be had he not won all those years ago. I'm inviting you to make this your moment where you turn away from sin and you start following Jesus. You don't need to understand everything. Maybe I lost you at points. Maybe some of these words don't make a lot of sense to you. I'm asking you to believe the good news that you, like me, have fallen short of the standard of God. God is holy. He told you not to sin, and you did And now you recognize it and you will humbly admit that to him and agree with him and then ask him to make the trade that Peter described, to trade your life for the life of Jesus, to give you instead of your sin the righteousness, the life, the forgiveness, the goodness of Jesus, and he will. He's done it for untold millions. He'll do it for you if you'll humbly trust him and ask him and tell him that today you will be his follower. Can I give you a moment to pray and just ask him to do that? And say, Jesus, I've heard the good news and I believe you. I confess my sin and my sinfulness to you. I agree with you that I've done wrong. I've broken your commandments. I've hurt my own conscience. But I'm turning away from that and I'm asking you to save me this morning. Jesus, you said, come and follow me. And today I'm telling you that I will. Forgive me. Give me your eternal life. And Jesus, for any and all who pray that today, I pray that you would give them wisdom and joy and confidence in the eternal life that you have given them. We ask it, God, so that we can enjoy you and enjoy the good life you give. In Christ's name, amen. Two more things. If today you made that decision, or if you have questions, if you're not quite there, I understand that. That was my process. It took me a while. I had a lot of conversations and a lot of arguments. Find the card that's in the seat back pocket near you, and fill it out. Give us a little contact information, only what you'd like us to have, and tell us one of two things. Today, I have decided to make Jesus my Savior. I'm trusting Him and receiving His eternal life, or I have questions. I want to hear more. Either way, we'll be delighted to either celebrate your commitment to Christ with you or walk a little farther with you so that Jesus can persuade you of how good He really is.